toss that rusty old grill into the lake and set the Barca Lounger on fire. Uh, this is the Dadward Spiral. We're back again. Um, check it to wreck it. Now let's begin. Party oh, wow. on, party people. Let's hear some noise. Oh, stop okay. right there. <laughs> this is episode number 17. I feel like uh, we've been doing this for 10 years and are only 17 episodes in, but that's just my convoluted concept of time. Still living in a pandemic. Every day is exactly the same, like Trent Reznor once said. Uh, but welcome. This is a show about parenting and our own threads of mental health that we're trying to cling on to the best we can. I'm Aaron Pruner. With me is Eddie Doty. Uh, yeah. See, Eddie got a new microphone. I wanted him to I did. Uh, speak up. Um, it's, 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 it's the same mic, but it's a better setup and... You know, and we're in the house now, so it's a little uh, a little easier to stretch out and and actually hook these things up properly. Whose house? Sorry. Okay. I, oh boy. <laughs> Eddie's house. That's right. Okay. Oh, so, uh, shout out, quick shout out to Dragon Wagon Radio for keeping us, even though we still haven't done a, <laughs> a commercial uh, to advertise our show. Uh, I appreciate Jake and everyone over there keeping us alive. Um, yeah. I don't know. Last time we recorded feels like a century ago, even though it was probably like a month or two. Eddie, a lot has changed. Uh, a lot has Europe. changed. Yeah. And I wanted to sort of dig into the biggest changes um, and how they have impacted your life, but but also mm. the idea... I, I, I don't know. Talk to me about getting a house, because that is like the biggest dream I have. I never lived in one, never grew up in one. And that this right. whole convoluted dwindling idea of the American dream is something I still mm -hmm. like to conceptually grab onto as a thing that I can attain for my family. I don't want my mm -hmm. daughter growing up in this shitty um, apartment complex, having the same sort of experience I did, you know, growing up, I played baseball in an alley we played basketball, but it was like the shopping cart was the basket. We played baseball. Right. The car parked over there was first base and the tree was second base. It was like we made what we could out of what we had. But I just right. want something better for my daughter to experience growing up. And I'm already getting a clear picture of how much money that costs and a better understanding of what my mom had to go through to provide for me and the biggest thing there is you know home you know a house foundation what sort of memories you build for your kids and how you set them up at an early age to i guess um proceed with their lives and fulfill whatever dreams they have so talk to me i mean it's uh, where to begin man um it was a uh, 18 months ago, it would have felt like the moon <clears throat> to be able to do it. Um, there is reasons why we were able to, to do it ultimately. Um, we, and, and it's no small part. I, I, I mean, <clears throat> I also want to say that like by there is unique challenges to buying a home now. Um, one of them, which I, I want to just acknowledge right out of the bat, excuse me, is, um, you know, the housing market boom that's happening now is in no small part due to a number of, um, you know, hedge funds buying up single family residences as investments. And I'm sure that's going to have no small number of consequences on the American housing market. I, you know, I, I definitely do feel that. Also, this is not my first time owning a home. I owned a condo in 2006 to 2011, I want to say 2010. Um, and when the housing bubble hit, we were swept up in that and we had to short sell and it was a really traumatic, not great experience. <clears throat> Since then, you know, I've done a lot more reading. I was in my twenties, you know, when we did that. So like, it was a, it was Those a experience in their twenties. Wasn't traumatic, Eddie. Yeah. Well, I mean, and who, who, how many 20 year olds had subprime mortgages? Um, mm, yeah. Because for the first time in their life, they maybe had a little bit of money in their pocket and then not great mortgage lenders. Uh, so, you know, I definitely had the perspective of experience of like, 
how to avoid um, uh, how to avoid you know so, some of the the fallings and the and the, the the trappings that we did last time. Thirty year fixed uh, mortgage being huge and chief among them. Um, having uh, you know access to either VA or an FHA loan is is good, I think. Uh, but also for us, it's just like we we also have the extra added like challenge of living in Los Angeles. Um, and Los Angeles housing market is insane right now and not in a good way. And, you know, I, I still get emails for like listings and stuff. And I just, this morning I saw a, what was it? Um, it was a three bedroom, two bath, 1300 square feet for like $800,000. And yeah, like I'm on those email. I, I have, yeah. a, I, I don't know what I did on Zillow and Redfin to constantly get email updates, but I get something like 15 a day. And mm -hmm. Kelly and I have had these talks that it's good to keep an eye out and understand what the housing market is like out here and what the prices are and what's available. I am so close to paying off all my debt. My credit score is fucking amazing right now. And I got really nothing to show for it, but it's something, I don't know if you experienced this before even, you know, getting into the house that you're in now, but it's like, it's reminding me of my goals, but it's also giving me anxiety that I'm going to miss out and not achieve the ultimate goal of, of, of moving into to a place that we can own, that I could be proud of saying I live there, that, you know, that could be near a great school and, and all of that. So like every time I get one of these emails, I almost don't click on it because it stresses me out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say like my biggest, I would say my biggest um, advice for anyone right now in this moment now of, you know, August, 2021 is expectation management and just prioritization, right? You, you, especially in the Southern California market, or especially just even in LA County and Orange County, um, you're not going to get a ton of space for your buck unless you're outside of like the cities, you know what I mean? And I'm mm -hmm. outside of the city. I'm in, I'm in, yeah, I don't want to go fully public with um, where I'm at, but like I'm in really the tip of the North County of Los Angeles, really far outside of stuff. Like it's, I got to get, I got to get like 45 minutes to just get to, or 35 minutes just to get to Burbank. Right. Like it's, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it, it's not, it, I am benefited by the fact that I'm essentially permanently work from home outside of the times where I have to travel. Um and I, and I was just in Seattle, you know, two weeks ago, um, for work and, you know, that, that made this possible because prior to that, like in my previous career as like a freelancer, uh, as like a freelance editor, especially, I would never know if my next job was in Burbank, Hollywood, El Segundo, downtown West side. Like these are all places I've worked at and yeah. it becomes, how do you, how do you rectify that with the commute? I couldn't do any of those places. I mean, I could do Burbank, but I couldn't do. Could you imagine the places, drive to El Segundo yeah, from where you El are? El Segundo now. from where I'm not. It's just, it, it would be, I, I just took the flyaway because El Segundo for non LA residents, El Segundo is right by LAX. And so, you know, like to go from there to here was a journey. Like it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's no small endeavor. Um, so to put that into perspective, I, I used to live in, um, a portion of the San Fernando Valley where El Segundo was about a 15 minute, 15 mile drive from me. You yeah. are about a 20 mile drive from me right now. And the 15 miles during the time that I had to drive to get to work would take me almost two hours to get to El Segundo. But so, so, so I can only imagine what a drive to El Segundo during rush hour traffic would be like for you where you're at now. But, you know, flip side of that is, I don't know, there was a time where living directly in the hub of the city was desirable to me. And I guess I still am working in entertainment. I just signed with a talent agent, although I don't know what's going to happen with that. So, like, I'm still involved in that. But the idea of being immersed in the city and living and based in this area isn't as desirable to me as it once was, you know, the idea of like moving a bit away and being a little bit dislocated from things sounds appealing. And I don't know if that just speaks to where I am at age wise or psychologically, or just, just my reaction to the world and right. other people currently, 
you know, but it all comes into play. I'll be, I'll be fully just transparent. Like about six things had to go a very specific way for us to not just own a house, but to, to, to like, to justify like everything we did, like we, cause we built, right. We built a home and a new development yeah. and like, there were like five or six things that kind of aligned. And like when they said, and I give full credit to my wife on this, she was the one who first said like, why don't we just build? And I'm like, I posted this on Facebook. I'm like, you might as well have said, why don't we just grow a chainsaw for hands? Because like, that's, that's well, why don't you just build? That seemed like the moon that seemed like completely unrealistic, but a few things happened. One, when I started working for Twitch, the idea that half of my work week was from home. Okay. That frees us up a little bit. That was when we first started like, okay, well, maybe I don't have to live within 25 kilometers of, of downtown LA. Right. Like maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe, maybe I can, we have a little, we can go expand our circle a little bit outwards where the prices are more favorable, where we have more space because I was not about to pay $800,000 for a three bedroom, 1200 square foot home. Like that's an apartment for, you know, half of what I would have paid on a mortgage. Um, and so then it's like, okay, you know, cause we, we had for a home where it's like, we wanted some key things. I moved around every school year. Like I wanted a place that my kids could, you know, call home for a while. And, um, my wife being from the East coast in a small town, like she, she had that as well. And so we both were on the same page that we wanted and needed that for our kids. Our kids were needing that our kids, you know, they have friends, but they have friends, but they, um, to have a community where they can do what they've been doing, which is every night, you know, riding their scooters up and down the block, playing with other friends on the block. Like that's a dream. Like that is the, uh, all the fancy stuff inside of here and all like the space is nothing like it's, it's, it's on par with just knowing that they have that and they have like this little community around them that they're growing together. So for me, that was like the biggest thing. So once I realized I didn't have to work near super close to an office five days a week, I was like, okay, I, I will easily do that a hellacious commute once, twice a week if I need to, because it's worth that in the end. And you just get more bang for your buck outside of that. That combined with the thing that is happening with the interest rates dropping low enough. And then the other, the last part of it was me working really hard to improve my credit. And then one final bit, uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article recently that was like saying the secret these people are having during uh, COVID during work from home, they have two jobs. Um, yeah, I did too. I, I worked, I worked two full time jobs for about better part of six months there. And that certainly helped. I could have, we could have done it without this, but it gave us more options. It gave us more comfort and gave us more flexibility when it came time to move. Um, it better prepared us that for that. And just, you know, we're getting my credit in like a good enough shape to where it was viable. You know, and yeah, I, you know, I, I got to give you credit for you working know. two full time jobs and still giving me some time like that. That's uh, and having three kids. I, like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I don't think I handled it ideally well, <laughs> um, but, you know, I I did my best <laughs> like, you know, and I and I, I wasn't sure. alone. Like I had, you know, I had Rachel and, you know, that said, like, it's nice to actually like, spend time with my kids. Like my boys, I think definitely got like the short end of the stick um in terms of time just because they had each other to kind of lean on and to kind of like be there throughout the day but like during the war i mean it was just it was hard i i did my best to like at least one day on the weekend spend individual time with just them because millie because mm -hmm. as a baby just by by default gets a lot of individual time because they just need right. to survive so i did what i could uh on the weekends I, we lived walking distance to like this indoor kids place that like once, once we were able to start like going inside with masks and stuff. And once they kind of re did that soft reopening, it's like, okay, I can take them to do something now that isn't just hiking or, you know, safe distance at a beach or something like that. So, but it's several things had to happen and go right, which I think is, if it's one thing this whole process has taught me is just how fundamentally broken the America's housing system is. Um, and I'm super grateful and happy that we have this place, but it's like, especially in the last month, all the hoops we had to jump through, you know, when it's like my credit's there, my income is good. Like we're not a risk. Like, why do I have to keep doing all these things when big, you know, hedge funds are just gobbling up empty plots and stuff like that. The other part of it is that building by signing a building contract, it froze the price in place. And over the course of six months that it took to build this house, like so many other homes were skyrocketing in price. 
I mean, by like, not, by like 50, a hundred grand, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, so it's like, again, all the props of the world, my wife for having the foresight around this, I never would have conceived this on my own. Um, right. But again, it was kind of the stars aligned and it was just sort of like nine to 15 things had to happen in order for it to be this way. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I'm envious. Uh, Thank you. It's, it's one of those things for us where like, I still feel like I'm in a, a, tra- a transitional period career wise. Sure. I don't know if I'm ever going to land solidly somewhere or if it's just going to be, I'm a, if I'm just going to be a professional nomad going from place to place like Kane from Kung Fu, but instead just writing articles, and, you know, making content, whatever else. But um, it's been on my mind a lot. And there is this like status thing that goes with having a house and this idea of relevancy um, that I keep coming back to. And it's, it, it really came to the forefront in my mind a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, Kelly and I went on our her family's uh, yearly trip to Lake Topaz, which mm-hmm. is about 45 minutes south of Lake Tahoe. Right now, there is a huge mm. fire up there called the Dixie Fire. We um, had so much smoke the last day we were there, but I was there. Uh, it's roughly on the border of Northern California and Nevada in Trump country at a RV yep. park by a lake for a week where I was a, the only Jewish person there about a hundred people and B probably one of say maybe five democratic uh, leaning people. I'm open to talking and uh, accept other ideologies and other perspectives, but it started to just be really overwhelming for me to, and I realized a few days into it, like, I am exhibiting the same sort of behaviors that I ridicule online when other people are so closed minded and shut down and 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 vilify those who may not agree with them politically or religiously or whatever. But I still felt like an outsider. And few days into it, I started realizing that this wasn't just impacting me. It was also impacting the way I was experiencing this vacation with my daughter who wanted to go in the lake. She wanted to go in the water. Um, she wanted to go on the boat. We got to fly a kite, like all these things where I, without really understanding it, I was separating myself a lot from people, even though I did have some work stuff. But this sort of goes in line with what we're talking about because pretty much everyone there has the house, the big job, the cushy RV that they drive into quote unquote slum it by the lake where you're, you know, you're driving this really nice RV in and you have, you know, your cars with the American flag bumper stickers and the freedom over fear signs and, you know, going into (laughs) town to hit up Walmart for like grocery runs and everything there is American flag and freedom and Trump. It, was hard to stay focused and hard to realize how was it, how it was impacting me. And the whole time there, it was like, I was surrounded by, by this idea of what the American dream is now, but it was also kind of a nightmare with the way that it's transformed ideologically and symbolically. And I had to stay focused on the bigger picture of these are also people who are families I am a person with my family and how do I best traverse that without fucking up my daughter's experience? You know what I mean? So that was a lot mm-hmm. of what I was going through at that time. And when, you know, talking to one of um, Kelly's family, one of my in-laws, he's a, a, his son is actually a pitcher for the uh, Oakland A's. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's, uh, he was the first draft pick for the the Yankees a few years ago. And then, had Tommy John surgery and had an injury and got traded to the Oakland A's. And it's sort of crazy. Cause I knew the kid when he was 13, um, his dad right. was talking to me about, you know, California business tax and how he doesn't really politically agree with what's going on in the state. We were talking about barbecues and he just automatically assumed that I had a patio or a backyard because I have a barbecue and couldn't wrap his head around the idea of living in a apartment building with a courtyard because, you know, status wise or just experience wise, that was outside of his 
purview of what normal is. And I started to really realize that everyone in her family and everyone at that community kind of had that same perspective, which made me sort of feel like an outsider and also made me feel like uh, this whole concept of the American dream and getting a house is going to be such an uphill climb that it almost feels out of reach. But you're right in saying you just got to stay the course and focused on other stuff that you have control over. That, that's I mean, that's the thing is that like, again, like uh, 18 months ago, I would have thought this. I'm not, there was a dude who was like in, in late 2019, early 2020. I was like, I'm never owning a home before I'm 50. Like, I'm going to need my kids to become successful or something like that. Like, I mean, and like, but certain things just align and like certain things change. And then you realize, okay, this isn't just fleeting change. It's like permanent change in a lot of regards. How do you and then feel? it's like, okay, how do, how do you mean? How do I feel about that? Or how do well, I? Well, no, I mean, how do you feel now that you're in a house? It does, as it changed, <sighs> yeah. just how you, how you wake up in the morning how you yeah face your day like does it feel like yeah. huge weight is lifted off of your shoulder does do you feel like you've reached the mountaintop you know what i mean like there, there's a i few know that there are that. certain things about about us physically emotionally uh medically that don't change once we reach whatever goal or achieve whatever goal we're looking for right like you go on vacation and you're still the same person even if you're trying to go to a better place you still have your demons and your traumas and stuff that you're working yeah. on so that's not what i'm asking but right no there, there's there's i guess there's a few ways to answer one there's how does it make me specifically just me i on my own feel it's awesome it's awesome to i like big communal spaces and the floor the layout of like our kitchen dining room living room area is awesome. I can stand behind our little Island there and like cook and clean. And I am so jealous of your Island, by the way, (laughs) I don't think you really understand how much I just, it's my first two. I've never had one before. I don't care about a big bedroom or a big bathroom. The idea of having a kitchen three times the size of the little alleyway we have to deal with right now is having an Island. I, I can't even begin to tell you how much of a game changer that would be for me <laughs> it's big for me i mean I, I love to cook and like we're a big entertaining family we love to cook we love to have people over we love people to like we love to just share we just love to make big big meals and just share and for me having space to cook and not only that but space where my boys can help me cook like Grayson was helping me barbecue yesterday and just like he was working on the mushrooms and I was, I was trimming the, the tri-tip and like just having that was cool. Uh, we, the apartment we were just in had, didn't even have a kitchen. It had like a nook. It had like a corner. It had like, it had like a thing. So, but yeah. <laughs> it had like a thing. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, our upstairs has a, our bedroom has a really good view of the entire Canyon. And, and like, I like big skies. I like having that, that visual there. And so there's, and space to just keep things and like this den, which is my office, but also like our guest bedroom. Like I've got a Murphy bed in here now. Like, so when people come over, we actually have like a place for them to stay with their own bathroom and things like that. That is huge. The loft upstairs to see my kids play is like as a play area for them. Amazing. So yeah, there's me and how I like it. And that's one thing. The other part of it is, and this like goes to like more kind of like the darker part of being a grown up and, and being responsible for others. You know, I have a fairly decent life insurance policy and, but like beyond that now, if something were to happen to me, like there's this place, you know, that my kids have, and there's like, they're, they're not, I mean, obviously it'd be a bummer like for them if, if something were to happen to me, but like, if something were to happen to me, and I guess I saw this with my dad, like I saw this with my dad, like in the last four weeks of his life, like he was confident I would be okay. Cause I was an adult, but it's like, you know, he was, he knew he wouldn't be there to, um, to guide me through things. And thankfully I was an adult. If I wasn't an adult and it was just like, you know, if, if there was any sort of like financial instability that would have come from my passing, I know it would have been a big deal for him. Same thing with me. It's like, at least, okay. Between these two things now, it's like, I, there's something I can leave my kids. Um, yeah. to say nothing of the fact that it's honestly the best investment you can make long-term I'm I've, I've had a, a fairly spotty 401k type scenario that I've not really contributed a ton to over the years. Um, you know, and so now it's like, uh, okay, now I, between the job and, and this, it's like, okay, I have a way 
to transmit a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of, you know, like we, I can establish the kids a little bit, not, not in any crazy way, nothing, no trust funds, nothing like that, but like just something of value to like have that as a resource for them should something happen to me again. So those parts of it are pretty awesome. My neighbors are dope as hell. Uh, so far, I really enjoyed my neighbors. Kids made friends. That part's the best. That part is better than anything. Seeing your kids make yeah. friends with neighbors and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't want my daughter to uh, <laughs> play with any of our neighbors. So I understand <laughs> that. Though our trip to the lake, she got to play a lot with her cousins. That's cool. It was great to see. And then seeing how much she's missed them, it's. It's been, you know, I, I do want to talk about that, um, the whole things opening to take kids places, but also yeah. now things maybe closing up again. I don't know. But before that, I thought of you about a few mm. different things. There is a docuseries coming to PBS called Generation 9-11. We talk mm. about legacy. We talk about generational stuff. And this show follows, I think, four or five kids who were born after 9-11, whose dads died in the Trade Center or in the planes and about how they grow up in the shadow of this trauma. And given what is currently happening in Afghanistan, as hmm. someone who uh, served, I'm sort of wondering what your, we don't have to talk too much into this, uh, but what your thoughts are about what's going on there from a military, from a veteran's perspective. I'm probably not an expert on this. I, I I do know this. I've had friends who, including my, you know, family who have, um, have, um, been a part of, been a part of, um, of the engagements over there. Um, and I know enough history to know that it's a, a very predictable song and dance. The onion, I think had a headline that was incredibly macabre, but, incredibly accurate which was Kabul fell uh hours faster than predicted um which it's just it's a it's an imperfect thing um people but what i mean is of, aside like, what do you mean? From, well, i'm sorry for interrupting you but I, i'm trying to stay on track with what we talk about like sure there are families who yes. deal with with family members who are deployed over and over again and now it feels just now completely in retrospect now that it's you know, going down the way it is that mm. was it a waste of time and and the emotional and physical strife that that kids, wives, husbands, whatever had to go through. It's like you look at it now and it's like, did it even have to happen? Or would it have I happened? Mean, uh, it's uh, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, <laughs> um, to say nothing of what the families of Afghanistan are going through right now, uh, to say nothing of like what a child who was born um, and, and, and believe me, Afghanistan has been extraordinarily far from stable and secure and perfect and everything, but there's a very, you know, there, there's a, a way of life that they have somewhat grown accustomed to. I think, of, I think of like a 10 year old kid, right? Like a kid who was born, you know, post Obama's initial surge, if you will, um, where things have just been teetering, um, you know, and then through a radical transformative change one of my best friends in high school her she and her family fled iran when they were when she was two uh literally her parents hoofed it you know for a couple hundred miles on foot to escape when the revolution happened and um yeah they were lucky they ended up in glendale and you know with a lot of armenian refugees who were living in iran at the time and um and found we're able to find a community and a home and citizenship and all this other stuff. Um, I think about them first. Then I think about kids who are, you know, who are, you know, their parents were deployed including my friend, Matt, my friend, Matt was a Marine intelligence officer over there for a number of years. He's, he's fairly despondent today, but I also can't look at it without the lens of, you know, post-World War II, military industrial complex that like we 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 have a knack of finding things that require mass deployments we have a knack of like finding things to send men and women to uh and this was certainly so i mean i i was a pre-9-11 veteran and when i tell people i was put on alert for a potential iraq evasion three times before 2001 they get surprised when i say that 
Um, but I mean, we, we bombed Iraq all throughout the nineties and we always were used as like the specter of, of, you know, negotiate enhanced negotiations, if you will. And there were times where I'd be getting a phone call being like, okay, just hang tight, you know, stand by you may have to go. And that's a non-intrusive version of everything that happened post 9-11, which was forever wars. Um, I, I don't do you think no one... that you would feel if you were sorry for interrupting, but yeah, yeah. How do you think you would feel if you received, if you were active duty and you received some sort of call like that in your family situation now, having a wife, having kids and receiving that sort of call saying, stay on alert. Like what does that do to you psychologically? Um, I, I, uh, I would honestly, I'd love to have a guest on that, that, can speak to that better than I can hypothetically. I would say that um, just from the men and women I know who have lived that, um, it's it's like a you prepare for as best you can, and then there's the reintegration, um, especially like our JSOC operator teams that go and then have to do some next level things. And then when they come back into society, there's a period of readjustment. It's usually about six, eight weeks for, for, for most folks. Like if you ask like a, a, a soft operator, so like a, like a Delta operator or something like that, if you ask them, I don't know what a like Delta a, a operator seal. is. Can you explain that? De- yeah, sure. It's okay. So all the, you know what a Navy SEAL is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's also like special forces and okay. of the special and special forces do a variety of tasks, but like Delta force is like, a division of special forces. There's also the Marine Raiders, which not everybody knows about. There's also the, uh, the, the Air Force has a version of that as well. And they, they like the high end, high level, we call them JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command, like the JSOC operators, like the people who go into the shit and then, you know, do the super clandestine, you know, stuff. Um, they have like a very they talk the the spouses talk about uh a reintegration period to say nothing of like people who are on you know just deployment and they come back from deployment knowing all these families that do that you do what you can what you can with what you do and you 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 know i I know uh, families who do a variety of approaches i think my approach would be be honest and be honest about what it is i do i think i'm a big believer that the less the more a child is given to imagine their anxiety will fill that imagination with the worst possible outcomes a lot of times. And so the best I can do to illuminate what it is I do. And we talked about this on a previous episode, like when I'm away for a while, I want my kids to know what it is I'm doing, you know, and I want them to know why I'm doing it. And and I want, I don't want to feel like anything is being hidden from them or like they're left in the dark or like they're not strong enough to like know what it is that happens. Obviously if I was a soldier or an airman, a Marine or, or a sailor, like it would be a a very different conversation. Um, But you know, it's, it, all I'll say is like, I'm glad I'm a pre nine 11 veteran. And I'm, I'm glad that like, I, I was very fortunate that I never had to deploy in a combat scenario in any of any kind and I, i'm blessed that i i you know avoided all that and i have nothing but love and empathy for the folks who who have to do that now so you know uh yeah what else to say about that i didn't mean to bring down the conversation no it's all right it's all no it's it's, it's, it's 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 fresh on my mind too i mean it's in the news like you're seeing planes taking off and people hanging from wheel banks like it's or from landing gear it's like it's it's, I think it's on everybody's mind right now. I'm very reflective of what's happening. Um, and yeah, that it's just, but again, like it's, it's nothing compared to what the, I think the children of, of, of the yeah, right. kind of going to go through now. So it's, it's, right. whew, it's a thing. So yeah. Turning it back to what you said earlier about having an indoor play area to take your kids to. <laughs> yes. If now a few weeks ago, we took Lily to universal studios. Yeah, which was which was a thing I was a little bit hesitant or a lot, uh, not a little. I was very hesitant about doing. And this was before the Delta variant stuff was really taking off. Um, We got comp tickets because I had a pitch out to multiple editors about uh, just sort of putting a parental guide together about navigating theme parks 
in the time of COVID, especially with young kids. Because uh, I'd never gone to a theme park with a young kid before, just in general. And now mm-hmm. going in this climate feels like a whole other can of worms entirely. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a bit about that. We're, gonna, we're supposed to take a three-day trip to Disneyland next month for <clears throat> Lily's birthday. Uh, this originally was supposed to be a Disney cruise that was supposed to happen last year for my mother-in-law's 70th birthday. But now it's turning into a trip to Disneyland, which also just feels like another, like we're just diving into the belly of the beast. Um, and also seems like we're more so doing it for my mother-in-law and not for us. But that's a whole other conversation to be had. We took Lily to Universal. Uh, we were able to take her on the toddler-friendly rides. She had never been to a theme park before. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought a stroller, even though she can walk because it's a fucking theme park and it was almost a hundred degrees outside. Yes. Um, yeah, strollers are indispensable, but, but you know, people socially distance, people wore masks. We followed certain guidelines and not every ride there was toddler friendly, but we got to go on, um, the minions ride. I, I'm trying to recall everything we did. We did the animal actor show. We did uh the kung fu panda adventure which was fun and um there's a thing there called super silly Funland, which is like a water park inside of universal which did not exist when i was a kid you mm-hmm. bring a change of clothes if you want kids get in their bathing suits and just run around shooting water at each other and have different like water toys and a water play area where it's public and there's other kids running around being crazy. And my daughter was a little apprehensive to really like run around. I didn't want to slip and fall. I didn't bring a change of clothes, but there was something, I don't want to say magical, but there was something about seeing her open up and have fun in a public setting where I didn't have to provide so much oversight and guidance to push her along. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So uh, I'm assuming you've had more experience with, taking kids to a theme park and or just we were just at magic mountain yeah you did yes just like recently two weeks ago how was that talk to me because (laughs) i am uh i'm fascinated and horrified at the same time about the experience as a parent at a theme park i keep going back to this one memory i remember having going to Disneyland with Sarah, our mutual Mm -hmm. friend. Yes. And seeing a kid having a meltdown Mm -hmm. and the look of exhausted defeat on this dad, trying to get through to the kid, but also with this overall, just like feeling of fuck everything I'm done. And I I remember leaving the bathroom thinking, well, sucks to be that guy. And now I feel like I am that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a, we're, we're theme park pros, man. We we used to have Disney passes. We have Magic Mountain passes now because you we know live. Disney doesn't have passes Better. anymore, right? Well, I know. We used, I'm saying we used to, and we used to. But I mean, that was like our go-to. And then with Magic Mountain, we just got season passes with free parking because it's like right down the road from us now. And um, and yeah, I mean, the Universal Studios. We've done all that. Like uh, our trick is really simple. Um, I remember we took Grayson to Legoland for his his seventh, sixth birthday, and Riker was like two and a half, three, something like that. So, like, if you a lot, so a lot, so Riker couldn't do a lot of things Grayson wanted to do or could do. So, right. there's two parents. So, you know, Riker wanted to be on the merry-go-round. I would take him on the merry-go-round. We'd switch up. We'd chat. We'd change out. The big thing is, don't force it. If you try to like give the kids some agency and give them options. Um, sometimes they just melt down. There's nothing you can do until they calm down. That's just a simple reality. Right. Um, I will say that Disneyland was worse in terms of like the worst in terms of crowds. Um, and Magic Mountain was thankfully six flags of Magic Mountain was thankfully not that crowded at all. Um, and the kids wore masks. My wife and I are fully vaccinated with Moderna. Um, which Moderna is- squad. Moderna squad, which apparently is like the one holding up against Delta the best. Like that's the one that's like the fewest breakthrough cases, like all the early evidence like points to that like, and so we feel safe with that. The boys wore masks. Um, Millie cannot wear masks. She's two, she's two. She like, she just doesn't, but you know, um, we maintain distance. Uh, anytime we had to go in 
to like a food thing or any, anytime we were indoors, like we put masks on, we took every reasonable precaution. And then you just, you just know what your kids want to do and you make concessions and like Grayson's at the age where he's not only going on revolution, but he's going on Viper. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But he's, like, you know, Riker, he's braver than I was at seven. Dude. Same. I told him that a way, way braver than me. And Riker is braver than me too. He's six and he's still going on like gold rusher and like I some was, of these like smaller rides. I and don't think Millie's I went on Space Mountain it. until I was 13 or 14 because I was scared of Space <laughs> Mountain. Space Mountain, yeah. I mean, the, the good news is, is that, like, they'll tell you what they're able to do. It, it Just if you go there wanting to do things as a parent, you're not going to be able to do them. Just no. make peace with Unless, that. Make peace with well, that. Well, there, there's, there's that thing, I forget what it's called, where if you're two, you know, parents there with a kid, uh, there's like a child waiting area where the husband and yes. wife or, or, or the husband and daughter or son or whatever can go on the ride. And then the other, no, I'm sorry. Flip side of that. The husband, God damn it. I can't speak. The One of the parents waits with the kid while the other person goes on the ride and then come back and then they could switch if they really want to experience a roller coaster. But that just feels like it takes the fun out of all of it, you know? And how are you going to keep your kid from freaking out watching one of the parents go off. Like, I don't know. It, it feels like an emotional juggling act and hearing your strategy does uh, squash some negative feelings about it, but it It took years to get there, but yes. (laughs) So hang on. We're getting, uh, we're getting some deliveries right now. So those are your hair in the background. Dude, it's totally fine. Um, yeah, this is this is how we get our show done. This it's is life in I the know, middle right? of the, the busy, the cracks in the volleys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't don't mind the man behind the curtain. Um, yeah, we're supposed to do Disneyland in September, and this whole Delta thing, and just I don't trust anyone at this point. And my daughter's really good at wearing a mask, but she's also kind of a narc. In that, if, <laughs> you know, if she sees other people doing something that she thinks is wrong, she will call them out and she'll point out babies and like try to involve herself in other people's lives. And so I'm afraid of that. And plus, we're going to be with family and my mother-in-law. Yep. And yep. it feels like so many moving parts that I don't have control over. And just thinking about it gives me so much stress. But at the same time, life has to go on. Right. And yeah, I'm hoping that come September when we go, things aren't as chaotic as I feel like they're going to be. Um, but our trip to Universal was pretty flawless. It was, uh, and you're right, follow what the kid wants to do because you're not going there to have fun. Yeah, you can exactly have fun. Right. You can have fun, but this isn't about you. If you're taking exactly. kids to a theme park, this is their trip, not yours. Yeah, no, I mean, you're 100% right. Like, and I think, like, I, I that's you, you come to that realization. I think the first few times you go with it, when you think your kid is old enough to go to the theme park that you can do whatever. And it's like, no, you're not doing whatever. You're like, th- that's why you give the season passes also, because if you want to just go, Rachel has gone to Disneyland with just her adult friends that's fine i've gone to universal studios with a different set of friends that's fine too that's when i get or halloween horror night that's like our one of our annual date nights is like we love going to universal halloween horror night that's for us any other time we go with the kids it's not for us it's for it's you know uh, we get our enjoyment of watching them millie loves those like the yosemite sam like race truck things which go like half a mile an hour but she just (laughs) loves the hell out of that thing so like that's i get i get enjoyment out of that seeing my son like conquer viper like a champ and just scream let's go as we're like doing loops like that's the best feeling in the world like that's better than that's the best ride i've ever had on viper was was with my son while he was losing his shit over it that was by 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 a huge margin that's awesome um yeah man i put down two separate quotes about fatherhood by okay from two different celebrities that i found interesting and i'm curious which which quote you relate to more and uh, and which quote you think is just crazy because i have my own okay uh, yeah. Kit harrington oh, who boy. was on game of thrones john yes. snow recently said fatherhood is quote more exhausting than anything i did on game of thrones and ken jennings who was that jeopardy um alumni who who stepped in as an interim host here and there after alex trebek was gone 
he has a quote that I found that says, for me, being a dad is a lot like being a cruise director, being the smiley face of the family. Like, here are the activities. Here's the good attitude, despite everything. A rah-rah scoutmaster type. That's not who I am at my core, but as a dad, you kind of have to turn into that. Which quote do you agree with more? Are they necessarily in conflict with one another? I guess, like... I don't you know. know. I, I mean, you could agree, agree with both of them. I, I sort of agree with the first one because the second one, it sort of sounds like Ken Jennings is saying that he's pretending to be someone he's not around his kids. I, I hear you. I, I would, I would, I definitely identify with the first more. I would, I would augment Ken Jennings's phrase, but, but instead of saying, um, I think those parts of him that are like what he has to, he's saying he has to turn into are already there. They're just amplified. There are other parts of my personality that are amplified around my kids. I do tell the whole dad joke thing is like, <laughs> we are, I think it's us. Like, I, think I feel like kid, dad like, jokes started off as stupid kid jokes that we just held on to as yeah. we grew up. Or like, we remember the joy of hearing those like silly, like uh, my, like, my Grayson's really big into like riddles right now, like, or like, or and like the riddles that are based mm. on puns, like really big on puns. Sure. The sheer joy that kids get from puns is like some, some crazy shit. And like, so I think like we try to orient ourselves around that way of thinking like, Oh yeah. Puns are kind of awesome. Like, and so I think dad jokes come about from, it's a cheap laugh with the kids. Like we know we can say that stuff and get the kids to laugh until until like there's one moment where it's just definitely not and now it's like and with grayson that's done like i can't i can't the, the dad jokes are he, he'll call me out on dad jokes now. Riker, it still works uh millie it's all about physical comedy it's all about like puffing your cheeks full of air and then squeezing them so it makes a fart sound that's yeah. like the heart that's like the the height of comedy to her um but yeah I, yeah so I think I, that, you know lily's really into fart jokes and i'm just like oh god we gotta hold on to this now we gotta really appreciate this because there's gonna be a time <laughs> yep. uh yeah i just found it fascinating he was like fatherhood is more exhausting than anything i ever did on game of thrones because fucking game of thrones dude he did a lot of exhausting shit on that show but at the same time I'm, it, it makes complete sense to me like yeah yeah you're yeah. not you're not depriving yourself of nights of sleep and and adding one bit of extraneous anxiety or worry or stress on top of another on top of another because mm -hmm. uh, the lives you were saying saving on that show are not real um yeah uh you know we're almost done yeah i'm curious eddie have you mm -hmm. gone on any road trips with your kids not really. We want to do a San Francisco road trip one of these days, but also like with three kids and one of them too. Like that's just not no. Like we, <laughs> I took them, I took the boy, I took them all to Balboa Island recently, uh, Newport Beach, like down North County, and that was too much. <laughs> like, was, like, <laughs> we had, we were like we told them we had to do an hour drive recently for my for my cousin's kid's birthday party, and they're like an hour. God. Um, if you do a road trip, you got to give them room. I don't think car seats can be a thing if you're doing a road trip. So well, like, cause like strapping drove, in for like, we drove from the lake for almost seven hours, dude, with Lily in the car seat. So how did that's she why like I'm asking. that? She, for the most part was okay with it because we brought a lot of, she's really into books. We brought like 40 books in a bag and she is so independent in how she grabs things to, to interact with things in the back seat. Like she grabbed the bag. And I was just seeing in the yeah. rearview mirror as we were driving one book after the other, after the other, you got to keep them mm -hmm. busy, constantly yeah. keep them busy and make room for stops uh, to get out and do stuff. But I just, I, I wanted to know, cause my um, sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they have three kids, the youngest of which isn't even six months old yet. And they were there at the lake. So they drove that far in an SUV with a kid that's five, a kid that's two and a half, and a kid that is six months old. And <sighs> that sounds like absolute hell to me, but people do it. So I didn't know if you have had experience there. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> I mean, just frankly, like I took a lot of road trips as a kid. Um, and I was a fairly introspective kid who had like books and like little like pocket games I could play and game boys and stuff like that. Like I, I definitely did a lot of them. Um, 
you know, driving to Vegas a lot, like, cause we used to live out there and, you know, driving to see my grandma back here in LA. And so, I mean, I definitely did a lot, so I was pretty good about it, but I don't think, I don't think either of my boys could really handle it right now uh, for any particular length of time. I don't think we yeah. could handle it to be honest with you. Yeah. Cause they, when they start fussing, it's like, it becomes a whole thing with yeah. three. I think the, it's like with two, it's like, I remember when we had one and we had to do some, I know we drove to like San Diego a few times with Grayson. And I remember like, okay, he threw all of his pacifiers over the edge of the seat. His snacks are gone. He has nothing. He's upset. I don't recommend this. This is not legal in any way, but like while we're driving, I'm going to unbuckle, climb into the back seat and like, you know, tend to him. We, we could do that. But like now it's like all of our seats are taken. Like We would have filled the kids. I can't really, I can't really do that again. So, yeah. All right. Just figured I'd ask. Uh, yep. cause it was crazy for one kid and I can't imagine more than that. Um, I don't know if you're watching any, actually, let me, let me back up kids going back to school. Not yet. They will be, uh, they go to a, a Catholic school. Um, so I think in two weeks they start. So how do you feel about that? Um, you're excited they're going, but also a little trepidatious about mask wearing. They're good about mask wearing. They go to they go to a small private school, man. And like, I think it's if they're going to public school with a larger student body, I'd feel a bit more worried about it. Um, but the school, we have a lot of advanced communication. They're, they're very good at um, at keeping the classes in different cohorts, masking all the time, um, creating pods, distancing. They're really on it for that more. They're like above the LAUSD standard uh, by like a good margin. So I feel, I feel kind of okay with it. Um, great. Riker had summer school. So like I, he got like an opportunity to meet, you know, and, and hang out and kind of test that out. I'm yeah. mostly excited. Uh, it's the, it's the, you know, frankly, it's the, you know, my wife is teaching a little bit more. She's, she's gotten a bit of a promotion. And so she's teaching more. So now it's just like, how do we balance our work hours when they come? Right. Home? That's the biggest like yeah. juggle for me. So, yeah. Right. We've had those talks here too. Cause Lily just had her yeah. first swim class. Yeah. Oh, well, congrats. Swimming's I was awesome. not there for it. Cause they, you know, COVID it was a private lesson. They can't, they don't allow too many people in, but uh, she loved it apparently. And, we're now having talks about her getting into a soccer class because she's expressing interest in soccer and, you know, preschool. And that freaks me out. But these are also necessities, I think, um, developmentally, just, just to give us peace of mind and also give her an understanding of social relationships and hopefully making friends. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, a lot of this episode is just me trying to get your your opinion on things. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Uh, we're going to end this uh, by talking about any TV shows, movies, or books we've been into. Like I said, I went to a lake, so I finished Stephen King's Later, which was a pulp crime horror novel, and I just finished Flea's memoir called Acid for the Children, and I just finished the white Lotus on HBO, which is just a mm. fucking amazing. I've been meaning just, to see it. Yeah. Oh boy. You're in for a bonkers train wreck of a treat. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Um, nothing of which that I've watched have really been fatherhood or parenting related. Although I will say I started writing my memoir, which Good this podcast was inspired by that idea to write one. I'm 35 pages in and reading Flea's memoir really did give me some clarity on structure and, you know, different uh, uh, creative avenues I could take with that. Um, yeah. You, you, you watching anything, Eddie? Uh, yeah. hundred foot wave on HBO. Oh, dude. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I became obsessed with surfing. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the what's the uh, the young surfer's name who does the flips? Kai, uh, Kai Lenny. Kai that Lenny. Dude. Yeah, he's one of them. Yeah, oh, yeah. My I, God. I, Car Carissa Moore won the gold at the Olympics for. Uh, she's an awesome uh, Honolulu based uh, or North Shore based surfer. Um, I, I I follow surfers as well. I mean Jamie O'Brien, uh, John John Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, I do. Obsessed. I, I, yeah. Well, it's, I have a personal connection to that particular show. Um, 
I actually worked on a 20 minute proof of concept for a documentary series about Garrett back in 2009. I was one of the editors on it. And so I met Garrett a few times. Um, and the, the financier who put the project together spent a good amount of money on it, probably close to $80,000 to film in Hawaii for, I think three weeks and got some fantastic footage of him and his tow partner, Kelly and, and some other folks. He wasn't, what's interesting is he wasn't his wife as depicted in the show, they hadn't met yet. So I had done, I'd cut a lot of the footage of Garrett with his, in his home life with his kids, not knowing that, you know, he would end up remarrying not long after that. Um, So it was, it was interesting, but I got Garrett's amazing. He is, a pioneer in, in, in the sport of big wave. Um, when you go to, uh, when you go to Hawaii, you see a lot of stickers that say Eddie would go. Uh, so Eddie Aikau, who was one of the like legends of like a legendary waterman of, uh, of Oahu was also like a big proponent of big wave surfing and things like that. So it was, it was, um, it, it, it's been awesome to watch. I think the team did a great job, but what struck me about it and the reason why I bring it up here is the, the last couple of episodes really deal with you know where what is your responsibility to you and what is your responsibility to your family and what happens when your profession and your livelihood and what's best for your family lie in direct opposition to one another um and you know and then also just like the role with his brother and like that really got me thinking and like like i said the last two episodes especially have really gotten me because you know it's not a big spoiler because they filmed this thing over the course of 10 years they essentially film they start filming right after the project I worked on had like stopped. Like I think about a year later they had stopped that in the first episode where it shows him glacier surfing. I had that footage. I had that footage in my project file of uh, for use. And we used a little bit of that as well. Um, So it was fascinating to see um, his growth over the last 10 years, the records he's made and have since been broken. The whole discovery of Nazare as a surf spot is like, I mean, if you if you google surfing now a lot of like just individual creators are like always in nazare so it's like it's its own like ecosystem now in the in the surf landscape um but it's you know the the stuff about being family and being a father and aging like he's not a young dude anymore and you know while certainly the science has evolved to support and sustain and lengthen um you know a, a, a surfer's longevity you know, and I want, I mean, one of my surfers who I watch on, on YouTube, Jamie O'Brien, he's not that old. He's like 39 and he, you know, recently tours MCL and he's like, so now he's like rehabbing and it's and, it, those, those parts in the show where he gets just pummeled and has yeah. to go into physical therapy and get these yes. surgeries and then thinks he's better and goes out and gets pummeled again and yeah. then gets pummeled again. It's like, uh, how 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 much torture do you put yourself through before you stop focusing on this thing that is so tunnel vision, just yeah. serving your own ego and your own sense of relevancy? Well, yeah, yes, but like that is also how he makes a living. I like you have right. to understand, like to, to like that is like him doing. When you get sponsored as a surfer or any sort of like athlete outside of a major league organization. You either win competitions, which doesn't pay that much. Um, you get sponsored and, you, and your sponsorships keep you sustained, but your sponsors have expectations of you to go out and perform, to be photographed, to create content. I mean, if you look at like Red Bull's like content labs, like of, of how they support athletes in these in these sort of like niche extreme sports, um, that's that's the expectation. You have to be, you have to travel, you have to be seen doing this stuff, you have to be wearing the brand. That's just how you No, no, I know. Survive. I didn't mean anything yeah. negative by that, yeah. but it's just what you were talking about. It's like this idea of of being relevancy, being relevant in your profession, but also maintaining that presence in your home life and balancing both and the conflicts and possible damage that can inflict upon you and that foundation that you're coming home to. It's it, yeah. I I get it, dude. I was I was not expecting to be obsessed with that show. I binged all. I had the screeners ahead of time before it aired. I binged oh, the right whole on. thing like a month before, and I was like talking <laughs> to people until I realized it wasn't on yet. I it blew me away. Yeah, no, and that's and that's a it like 
and also it's just beautifully photographed. Nazare is a is a magical place, and also they photograph the other spots well. Like uh, he, you know, like but Nazare is like should not. It makes no sense that that wave exists. The way For those it does listening there. who don't know, Nazare is <laughs> yeah. a coastal city in Portugal who yeah uh, yeah you look at it and it's just like what <laughs> and for context like brutal. so you know like the 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 idea of the red chasers like these are and we did we saw a little bit of this in the project i worked on there are big wave surfers who wake up every day and they chart like this the hot spots of the world some of the other ones are like mavericks off the coast of um san francisco uh there's or in south of san francisco it's like half moon bay there mavericks is a famous spot that place gets huge that place gets 40 50 feet that's killed people um or they go to like uh teahupu uh tahiti which are in like in french polynesia like that is you get massive waves there um even like you know in, in, in other places around the world and then Garrett, the subject of the, of the series, was one of the first guys, really the first name surfer to go, there's something happening here. And him going there and him getting photographed, which at the time, like people thought that was like close to a hundred foot wave. Um, but yeah, hundred foot wave is something he's been after for a long time. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the great, it's the white whale for a lot of surfers, just super arbitrarily because as they go into in the show there's no exact scientific way to measure a wave there really isn't it's all photography and perspective and reference points and like it's an it's an estimation that's agreed upon by a consensus of people and that's it so it's like i love the fact that people care so much of an arbitrary number that will never in our lifetimes be accurately gauged i think there's something very romantic and insane about that um but, you know, again, he's had two smaller children in addition to his other children with his, his first wife. And, you know, how how does this how do you reconcile those things? Um, and his spouse is all in on it, too. She runs the business side of things. But yeah, we're talking about Garrett McNamara. For those of you listening, yeah. not knowing who Garrett is. Uh, yeah. Look him up. He's uh, I didn't know who he was before watching this. And I quickly became just enthralled with his story and what he does. Um it sounds to me like there is some uh, chaos going on in the background there. A lot of things My being wife, delivered. <laughs> a lot of things. We just got our fridge put in. We finally have a fridge. Holy, again, look, so I get good. it. During the pandemic, when the pandemic was at the, like, leading into summer last year, our refrigerator died. Mm-hmm. And there was no refrigerators anywhere. Like, apparently, that was a thing that kept happening to a lot of people. So I understand having to live out of a cooler with a family mm-hmm. when it's extremely yeah. hot for possibly a week or even more, which is what we had to deal with. So congratulations. Uh, hoping it fit because we mismeasured our space for the refrigerator. We ended up getting not taking into consideration that insulation expands the size of the refrigerator. And so we have this big bulky <laughs> yep. beast of a refrigerator that does not fit in the space that was built in this apartment to house a refrigerator. So we had to get a little uh, creative in where we put it, but it worked out. Um, this has been episode number 17 of the Dadward Spiral. We've sort of been all over the place of what we talked about in this episode, but uh, I guess it all just comes back to the American dream, man. And just, yeah. just, just your own personal uh, mental well-being and growth and holding on to whatever goals and dreams you have. Uh, I've been struggling to do it myself recently. I'm admitting that. It, uh, you know, it's been a little difficult for me past few weeks, but I'm staying the course. I hope you all are staying the course as well throughout whatever you're struggling Indeed. or working on. Um, Eddie, thank you for taking the time out of your day uh, of course, to man. do this with yeah. me. Um, this is I necessary. Know, so. I don't know what guests we're going to have coming up, but I'm working on it. Uh, in the meantime, again, thanks to Dragon Wagon Radio for housing us go to dragonwagonradio.com they have a bunch of great shows shout out to the koi cast koi jandro to jake lloyd who is the guy who runs the the ship we still have merch if you want a shirt or a mug i haven't really checked in with that much recently but they have a lot of great shows on the platform um if you want to find me online i'm aaron flux on twitter i don't really respond a lot on twitter because i'm really busy but if you want to follow me or uh, uh, Dadward Spirals on Facebook and on Twitter, you know, we'll we'll get we'll get to you when we get a minute. 
in the meantime, Eddie, is there any final thought you want to put out into the world before we call it quits? Yeah, I mean, yeah, some, well, I mean, yeah, something I, it's been on my mind lately, which is like, you know, we talked about some heavy stuff here today and we talked about, you know, Afghanistan and like all these other things. And I have for the last several months been feeling waves of guilt over things going well. Um, because I know a lot of people are struggling and a lot of people, and we all have our struggles and listen, I, I struggle with some stuff too, but like, you know, I've, I, I forget that like 2018 to 20, like the end of 2020 was somewhat hard and, you know, things have taken a turn and I'm pretty happy. And with that came like this weird guilt that I wasn't like, you know, how dare I be successful or happy when, you know, good, bad things happen to other people. Um, I don't always believe it, but I'll just say like what, you know, uh, has been told to me, which is, you know, when you're having success, do what you can to lift up others. And then that way, when you know, it's all cyclical, you'll have your time in the sun, you'll have your time in the shade. Uh, Boethius in the constellation of philosophy talked about history being a wheel. You're up, you're down, you're stuck to the spokes, you know, but good times are not permanent, but neither are the bad. So it's just, in, I'm, it, I'm saying this out loud to remind myself to, accept the good times when they happen and enjoy them and be present in them as opposed to racking yourself with guilt that things aren't harder for you, which is a weird pathology that like, I know I, and I think a lot of people have, have some experience with. I think that for me translates into, I don't feel like I deserve the good things. Right. So when they come, there is that guilt or that, that imposter syndrome of, I uh, just, wait until they find out and it's going to get taken away from me or I don't, I don't belong here. Um, aside from just comparing it to the state of things for other people, I get it, dude. Uh, that mm-hmm. is, thank you for saying that. Cause that is important. And uh, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Once again, I'm Aaron Pruner. This is Eddie Doty. You've listened to the dad hey. word spiral. Uh, we talked a lot about some heavy stuff here, but I thank you for sticking with us. Um, And yeah, until next time, I would like you all to remember, it is nice to be important, but it is more important to be nice. Hey everyone, Jake Lloyd here. I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about my debut feature film, Pinch. Pinch is the story of two strangers brought together by the chance to own a rare and valuable sports collectible, but to do so, they're tasked with stepping out of their comfort zones and onto a baseball field. It is a story about love, family, how we define success, and how sometimes it's hard to look beyond our own insecurities. Pinch is what happens when the sandlot grows up. I made Pinch with no budget, no crew, just a ton of heart, and I'm thrilled to share it with you. You can rent or buy it digitally on Amazon or watch completely free on Prime Video. Visit pinchmovie.com and follow at pinchmovie on Instagram for more info on this charming little indie movie that means so much to me. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to Dragon Wagon Radio. I appreciate your time. Now let's hear that awesome little network stinger that comes at the end of every show. Hey, you know what? That voice of the little network stinger, that's Tony Wayne, star of Pinch, now on Amazon. See what I did there? Okay, bye. I love you. Thank you so much. Pinchmovie.com. It's Dragon Wagon.